Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I am talking to the incomparable Kurt Anderson. Kurt is someone that I've admired from afar and whose work I've enjoyed for many, many years. You might know him as the co-founder of Spy Magazine with Graydon Carter, or as the host of the truly delightful public radio show Studio 360, or as the author of novels like True Believers in Turn of the Century, or his new nonfiction book Fantasyland. What you might not know, though, is that in the middle of publishing the magazine that famously called Donald Trump a short-fingered vulgarian in 1988, and publishing novels and hosting a radio show, he was also the design and architecture critic for Time Magazine for almost eight years. And that's where this conversation started. I was very curious how someone who had been writing about crime and politics suddenly found himself writing about design for a major magazine. And what's been interesting to me about Kurt's career since then is that even though he's not really writing about design explicitly anymore, it's still a theme that seems to run through much of his work. In 2017, he published Fantasyland, How America Went Haywire, that looks at America's uh, seemingly predisposition to believe in myth and magic and fantasy. He goes back 500 years and brings us all the way up to the present in the era of Trump and fake news and really puts this current moment into a historical perspective. It was one of my favorite books that year and I think has a lot to do with design as well. So in addition to Fantasyland, we talk about his interest in moving between mediums. We talk about how his relationship to design has changed over the years and how he thought about writing design for a general audience in the late 80s. This was one of the most fun I've had in a conversation in a long time. I've been a fan of Kurtz for years and his varied career is the kind that I aspire to. So it was a real honor to have him on the podcast. If you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that has additional content and episode previews. I think of this as kind of the director's commentary for the podcast. These memberships really help keep the podcast going, and I just appreciate all of your support and hope that you enjoy this fun conversation with Kurt Anderson. So you were at Time, you worked at Time, and you were kind of writing about politics and criminal justice and things like that. And then what seems like, as someone who came to your work later, all of a sudden you became the design and architecture critic. And basically my question is, how did that happen and why did that happen? That's a good question. And that is, that is, that's a good beginning for this conversation. Um, I had been interested in design as a college undergraduate, took art history courses, took design history courses, okay. but did not major in it. Um, and to the degree I was a, I was a, any of any career path that I didn't take was one that I thought I might have taken. It was architecture. Oh, anyway, right. so I get out and and I get jobs writing, and I'm a writer, and I'm writing at Time Magazine, and uh, uh, I'm you know in my mid twenties and writing about politics, as you say, and getting to do lots of writing. But I had I had gone there in the first place saying, oh. I'm I'm 25. Make me your movie critic, or make me your mm. culture writer, or make me uh -huh. your something. Because there was no such thing as a design writer at the time. Right. So then, however, around uh, so I, I they said no, you, we'll hire you to do this. And I said great. 
And, uh, and I did that, writing about politics and crime and cultural, mm-hmm. socio-cultural subjects for a while. And then uh, they hired, uh, they announced they were going to hire a design and architecture critic and, and create okay. that as a new section. Okay. And, and, and uh, I said, how about me? And I said, no, we've got a guy. And uh, yeah. we've already found a guy. And he's actually, unlike you, credentialed and, and is an architecture critic at the Washington Post. And nice try. We love you, but no. Uh, uh, they, yeah. uh, that didn't work out. And, they, and he did that for a year and left. And they said, okay, fine, Kurt. You can do it. Um, and and uh, so that's how that began. And, and, I, and I went from being this, uh, you know, uh, writer in the nation section um, national affairs section yeah. to being the design critic that, and it happened like that and again it, it's a measure of how of cushy in certain ways the magazine the, the media magazine <laughs> yeah. world was yeah, in, yeah. in New York at that time that they gave me some months off and I don't remember how many but months off to just steep in, in and read and like I would go to the Cooper uh, Union Library and read and, yeah. and just to sort of get up to speed yeah, yeah, yeah. which was Extraordinary. And so that's that's how I started doing that. I mean, so you started answering my next question because I was kind of curious about that, what that transition was like. And so you'd mentioned you'd studied some art and design history classes. You maybe had an interest in, in being an architect. What was that like when suddenly you had to write about? Did you have a sense of what a design critic should be writing about or how you should approach these things? No, because there may have been design critics at the time, but all I knew about were architecture critics, right. you know. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Huxtable, mm-hmm. the great design critic of that era, Paul Goldberger, uh, was writing, and, yeah. and 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 then I started reading, you know, kind of academic uh, writing about uh, architecture and and some design. But there was the idea of a of a kind of mass audience design critic. I, I don't know who that was, would have yeah, been. Yeah. I mean, you know. Uh, the Eameses wrote things, but they, well, they weren't design critics, right? right? And yeah, yeah. so I didn't. So no, I had no model. Uh, I I I I felt at that point like, you know, I I knew how to write and I knew how to look, and so I figured, eh, give it a try. Now, did I feel like a fraud? Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, I still occasionally feel like a fraud, but certainly then I did it, and 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 was very, you know. Uh, uh, careful, uh, even, I, I, I'm careful in general, but I was very careful that, I, that my cover as a as a as a non-credentialed uh, idiot wouldn't be blown, and uh, and and it wasn't, and and you know kept doing it, and people took me seriously, and so then people took me seriously, and it became a self-fulfilling thing. Suddenly, I was a design critic. Can you talk a little bit about a what your subject matters were at that time? And I think sometimes it's hard in you know, 2018, where design is kind of this buzzword that people want to talk about. It wasn't so much then. So how did you, what were you kind of writing about? And then how were you writing about that for people that probably had no idea what design was? Right. Well, in terms of the mass audience, it was it was a kind of golden age at Time Magazine, as it happens, that I just lucked into. And part of that golden age for my, in my particular way, was that Robert Hughes was the art mm, critic. Yeah. Um, serious big deal influential art critic for Time Magazine that the, the editors at the time, one of them once told me, nah, not, not many people read Bob Hughes and it's a tiny, you know, it's a tiny fraction of our audience. But even those who don't, uh, the fact that he's in the magazine makes them feel intelligent. Right. So, so I thought, oh, good. So you're saying I can write 
you know, I, I, not that it's going to be so highfalutin and abstruse that the readers won't understand, but nor was Bob Hughes. Right. And so I, th that was a good model, really. It's yeah, like, yeah. oh, okay, he, he's, he's, he's super smart and knowledgeable and a vivid writer and all the things that he was. That, that can be my model. So that, that was, I, I didn't feel as though I had to talk down, you know, or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there was that, uh, and, and but but what to what did, what did I write about? I mean, uh, I would say I haven't done a count, but I would say um, it, it was architecture and design. So right. some fraction, large fraction of the time, maybe half, I wrote about architects and buildings and this guy Frank Gehry out in California, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. doing these interesting houses and apartments. Right. Uh, I remember one of my earliest pieces, maybe my first, maybe not, but early, was this idea I had about how black things were suddenly popular in 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 in, in consumer goods, in cars, mm. in 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 this mass market way. And I thought that's weird. Black having been the color of, you know, in Huisman or in in, yeah. in in the Goths and anarchists, what? Why is everybody buying black? What's that about? So trying to sort of figure that out uh, was one of uh, my early pieces, and and I think and I was very happy with it because it was this kind of curious, not an obvious trend piece, or but it was but it was a trend piece and a zeitgeist piece and about the visual material culture and and my editor said sure and they ran it and I was. Kind of off and running. Did you do you find it's interesting that you t talk about that that black piece and you know I'll admit I was not able to get a lot of your Time magazine piece. A lot of them aren't online, or else I would have. They're read. online. You just have to subscribe. Right, and I'm not a Time subscriber, so yeah. I, I couldn't read many of yeah. them. They're really really good. <laughs> I'm sure they are. I, I but I I'm joking. I as I read a lot of your pieces in a short amount of mm. time, I was struck by how often you kind of take a uh, aerial view of, of something um, and you kind of zoom out a little bit and look at this larger thing that's happening instead of talking about a specific event or object or, or building even um, you know whether that's Fantasyland or whether yeah. it's the uh, I think it was in Vanity Fair about um, kind of like how culture and style has stopped right. evolving right. Um, is that something that you picked up from kind of writing about other things or how did that um, I, How did you start to come to see that as a way to write about these things? Yeah, I, I did. I mean, uh, I did. I, probably most of the pieces I wrote uh, as, as the critic at time were about specific buildings or at mm, least a specific okay. designers or architects' work. But, yes, um, one of my habits, knacks, interests has always been connecting various dots into a larger yeah. understanding of a piece of the universe or why this is happening now. So, yeah, that's always been something I've, 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 when I have an actual idea that I like to do, like with Fantasyland or, or, or that essay in, uh, in Vanity Fair, uh, in 2012. Um, so, uh, th that's just, I don't know, pattern recognition. Right, I mean, right. uh, and, and, uh, really, I mean, connecting some dots that I hadn't seen connected in the way that was emerging in my mind and, 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 and doing that. It's just, what can I say? It's, 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 it's a thing. It's one of the things that has, I've, I've enjoyed doing and can occasionally do. Now the trick with the problem with that is, is, and why, for instance, I've never wanted to be like a, like a weekly columnist or something is you can't, or I can't, uh, 
force that out right. on demand right. in, in a right. way that I'm satisfied with very often. Uh, they they come and like, oh, that's a real idea worth saying rather than, what am I, which, what, what am I going to drum up as an idea, a big idea this week? I, that's, right. that's right. I, I never wanted to do that. So, so it was just, you know, uh, just as, you know, a satirical look at things was one of my habits of mind or, right. you know, there's probably a half a dozen of them. And, and, and that kind of thing uh, that you're talking about is, is one of the ways my, my, my mind, my writerly mind works. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to spend this whole conversation talking about your, your eight year stint as okay. a design critic in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious about how your relationship with that word design or even writing about design has evolved since then yeah. to now when you might not necessarily call yourself a design critic, but I yeah. think design and architecture still filters very heavily into the way you look at the world and, and the subjects that you're interested in. How well, has that changed for you? It, it does. I mean, back, back then it was, it, it was, a, it was a little, it was just, when I was doing it in the eighties and early nineties, it was just getting groovy and it was a little bit <laughs> yeah. like, like, a, you know, it was just the, the kind of apartment life, early gap. Why, you right, know, right, right. and, and, and that actually kind of put me off, even though it made me feel like, Oh, this one one of these things I do, one of these hats I wear, uh, you know, can yeah. can, can be a gig right. uh, because it was cool suddenly. Um, uh, so I, along with everyone else in my own uh, intellectual evolution, you know, I've come to understand that uh, that everything can almost literally everything can be regarded as a design problem and and the, and the, <laughs> and the buzzword of design thinking and all yeah. that, which is all of which is true. Um, uh, and it, 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 as you say, did I keep hearing in other work I did I, my, in my, in my first novel, especially, uh, in all my novels, actually, I, there, there are, there are things that I, mm -hmm. after the fact I point to and go, oh, there's this description of San Francisco being built in 1848 or all, right. but, right. In, and, and, and in my first novel, I, I had just a whole fantastical non-existent, uh, buildings in, in, in Las Vegas that I create that I created, that I, that I imagined and put in there. So, so the ability to think about uh, design and spaces as a, as a critic, yeah, I think, yeah. gave me the, the kind of knack and taste for, for putting it into other things. So, so uh, and then uh, the, the other thing I did, or the thing I did after my stint and, and somewhat overlapping for a few years with my stint as a design critic was Start Spy Magazine, which which was uh, which of course we had to design. Right. We had sort of peculiar uh, uh, design ambitions and brilliant collaborators to do that with, and so I, that that in a in a, in a practical practitioner e right. way made me uh, think about design and graphic design and in in a, in, a, in a new and intense mm. and and I am part of this team doing this way and and so that was it was a you know, it wasn't a, an intentional evolution of my design life, but it, but it, right. but it was right. a, an evolutionary step in my design life. Do you have any thoughts less about maybe your own, your own kind of thinking about design, but as somebody who's kind of been in that world or related to that world for now, you know, 30 years, how that term design critic or architecture critic or even just design in general how that's evolved and kind of, do you have thoughts on kind of where we are kind of in this moment of design criticism or design writing? Uh, 
I don't. I, I mean, I, I, I don't have a big thought about it because, uh, A, because I don't do that much of it anymore, but also, uh, I, I mean, I think, I think it is, uh, it, it can mean so many different things. Uh, d design criticism, design writing. Architecture criticism means people know what that means, yet they thought they did. Like, right. let, let's look at the, the, the people who've written architecture criticism for the New York Times. Basically, there are people uh, who write about this new building and that new building and this new building and that new building until Michael Kilman comes along, which isn't to say people before him hadn't done some of what he does, but he redefined yeah. Yeah. that job unilaterally uh, to be about uh, not so much about buildings by famous dudes. Right, um, right. And, 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 and to me, that, that's a really interesting, uh, uh, you know, kind of lagging indicator of, of where design criticism ha has, has mm. gone and, and can go and maybe should go, which is to say about bigger things than, oh, look at the iPad or, right. oh, look at this... Uh, you know, uh, Helmut Jan building. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or this yeah, dating has myself. a new logo. Yeah, Let's, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or exactly. Or this latest new hot uh, graphic designer. Um, all, all of which, if if people are doing exceptional work or, or or work that seems groundbreaking or different, great. They should that that stuff should get the focus. But when there are bigger issues at hand of how cities work or don't or or um, you right. know yeah. th th that to me. Is it's it's interesting when when a, a kind of design sensibility and vocabulary can be brought to bear fluently about that. I mean, that's the other thing about another secret, dirty uh, truth about when I decided when I started doing this in 1986 or five, whenever it was, four or five, I guess, uh, was wow, so much of the writing uh, about this stuff. There's there's so little good writing. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. like, I figured, like, nah, I'm a pretty good writer. If if I can be one of the relatively rare good writers in this field, I'll do okay. Yeah. So that was part of it. I, yeah. I think. So so that that's one of the differences, and one of the improvements is now there are many good writers who sometimes or all the time write about design in a way there simply wasn't 30 years ago. Right. Um. Uh. You know, not that any of them are earning. Uh, Enough money to buy lunch, uh, doing it probably, or a few of them. But 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 yeah. but but I think, and not to you know fall into the jargon uh, uh, hellhole, but the discourse has has probably this is exactly what this podcast is for, by the way. So you can fall into that probably as much as you want. improved because people are thinking bigger, yeah, uh, and and than than uh, just uh, about you know how this microphone got designed or how this. 19th century silver was, you know, whatever it is. Right. I'm going to kind of change the subject a little bit because you mentioned something in there about writing and how, you know, you're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a good writer. I could just kind of maybe what you, you lack in design knowledge or something, make up in just good writing. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that's exactly I, what you I, said. I but, understand what you're saying. Um, <laughs> but no, what I found, what I discovered is that, you know, I had plenty of knowledge and could pretty quickly right. develop enough knowledge to either fool people and get by, or frankly, know as much as as the yeah. others. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, the, my, my, my feeling like a fraud period, which is lifelong, oh, but yeah. but but in that particular case, was I didn't feel much after like I don't know a year or so. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, to your point. What I'm curious about though is 
is this kind of jumping around in your career, whether it's subject matter, yeah. whether it's even type going from more journalistic writing to writing novels to plays and television to essentially, essentially a history book of the United States mm -hmm. uh, to even a radio show. Mm -hmm. Is that a, does that come from a desire to play with form? Does that come from a getting bored in one thing, wanting to do another thing? Where does that kind of uh, moving between mediums and disciplines come from? Um, I guess both of those. I mean, I, I don't, you know, until, until I have walked this path, which I now have, it's not like, I didn't begin thinking, oh, I'd like to play with forms, and I know I get bored easily, and therefore my, my, right, my professional right, right. life will be this. Now, and, and I don't, it's not as though I ever got bored, I, 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 because what I, what I ended up, I would say it was more, uh, oh, this opportunity presents itself, this is interesting, maybe I can do this, yeah. it's adjacent to what I've done before, I've never done it before, but maybe, let's try it. So that, I mean, in, in some subconscious way, it may have been preemptively trying the next thing so that I don't get bored in the mm -hmm. last thing. But it wasn't about getting bored. Uh, it, was, it was really just opportun like, you know, curios opportunistic curiosity, yeah. if you will. And, and, and again, not a self-conscious thing <laughs> about playing with forms, but, oh, this isn't, you know... Uh, uh, you know, once one, uh, you know, I, I had messed around a little bit with fiction when I was very young, but I had not published fiction, you know, until I started writing a novel. And what I'd been a professional writer at that point for, uh, you know, a dozen years, uh, no, twenty years, and and uh, so it it was okay. I think I now have, in in the case of turning to fiction, like enough. You know, I'm not going to, I mean, yes, I can improve as a writer, but if I'm ever going to be able to write a book, I've got the right. skills and right, craft right. to do so. And I've always wanted to write a novel. And I think I now have enough life experience that it might be interesting enough to transmute into a work of, uh, a long work of fiction. So that's how that came about. You know, radio, it just out of the blue, the, the people in charge of Public Radio International and WNYC came to me and said, hey, we got this yeah. show in mind. You want to host it? And I said, are you crazy? <laughs> and sure. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, it was, it was, it was, you know, I, I, ha I had a set of skills and, and I was lucky. And, uh, and, and the two yeah. led me to, you know, yeah, do a bunch of different things. Well, but I mean, let me, let me maybe ask a, a, a kind of related question, because what I also think is interesting is that regardless of the form or regardless of, of the medium or the place where you're doing it, you are still using these kind of different avenues to play with your same interests, just kind of in different ways. And it's like we we're talking about, you know, even your novels have design right. elements, and I think there's some fantasy land in those. Right. Also, are, does changing that approach or changing that process somehow give you new insight or De new definitely. ways to look at these no, things? No, I, I feel like my professional life it, it has this internal healthy hybridization uh, uh, yeah. uh, dynamic that goes on. Absolutely. Uh, that, that, you know, it all, it all feeds each other. I remember, er, not early on, but relatively early on in Spy, we did this whole... Uh, um, uh, section package of stories about postmodernism at oh, yeah. the height of postmodernism, and this and and one of its long sidebars was what we called yuppie porn. Before everything was called 
X porn or Y porn or E porn. We, <laughs> right. talk, you know, and it was the it was the Michael Graves, uh, you know, teapot. Yeah. It was all this stuff, and I I loved that then. I've looked back at it since. I still love it. So so yes, I was bringing my uh, you know. My, my what what I was doing then still currently writing about this stuff in a Time magazine somewhat more uh, you know uh, sober un, uh, way without ridicule and and bringing it into the spy magazine context where uh, so so that's an example of yeah, of, yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of that crossbreeding uh, as it happens and you know it still happens um, you know I, I wrote a story a short story fiction. Uh, a few years ago for an anthology, and uh, my radio producer said, "Hey, right. uh, yeah. we could we could we could turn this into a radio drama for Christmas." And so they did, and we did, and and rerun it every couple of years. Right. So so yeah, it's it's um, it, it, it's it's a delight when that can happen. Can we talk about Fantasyland a little bit? Sure. Um, I th- that was one of those books for me when I read it that kind of completely explained everything that I was trying to figure out in the, in the moment. It was like a perfectly timed book, I Thank guess you. is what I'm trying Good. to say. But you've been thinking about this for, for much longer than the era of fake news, much longer than, than the Donald Trump era. Um, and I have a, a couple of questions about it, and I want to connect it to design a little bit if we can, because I think it's a book about design in, in a way too. But, but before we get to that, when did you start thinking about this, or when did you start kind of noticing this this trend or this this thing, thing. Yeah. this explanation for all that has gone wrong in America, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I remember, as I talk about it, as I mentioned in the book, I remember uh, the first episode of the Colbert Report yeah. and, and in which Colbert did his truthiness right. thing. Right, And being, you know, uh, just stunned at the brilliance of that little thing and, and, and how that, you know, for me... Was was not unlike what you say Fantasyland was for you. Like wow, this yes, yeah, this is yeah. what's gone wrong. And we were still early, in, right? Relatively yeah. speaking, then two thousand five, right? So the, I I know that that was a moment. I mean, I you know I, I I my first novel was a lot about the the merging of news and entertainment and reality mm-hmm. and fiction. There's a, a one of the main characters is a, a, a journalist turned TV producer who creates this police drama in which real crimes happen. And this is, it came out in 1999, really, before reality TV. Yeah. So, so, so that, you know, and that, you know, those thoughts about that, right. you know, uh, 18 years later right. appear in Fantasy Land as well. So, so was I thinking, hmm, someday I'll write a nonfiction book that, it, that is my unified theory right. of America? No, but, but, so I was thinking about pieces of it along the way. And then uh, in the tens, in the 2010s, I began like, oh, there's a probably a book here that I should do. And uh, uh, and 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 2013, at the you know, I I I, I had started writing another novel and <clears throat> said after I finished this to my uh, publisher, like, I, here's here's the basic idea for this nonfiction book that I want to yeah. write for you. I said, wow, uh, maybe you could do that first, and 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 that's how it came to be. So it was. Uh, you know, it was uh, in my head as a possible book for a few years before I started researching and writing, and in its in 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 all these ways that I didn't know were leading to it 
for you know 20 years right can you tell i don't want to get like too much into the process of how yeah. you how you wrote and organized the book but i am curious i mean because this is essentially it's your first nonfiction, first book. big nonfiction book yes um how is that different for you i mean it's it's very journalistic it has all of kurt anderson interests in it i think but it's also a very different thing for you yeah how, it is what it was, was that like how, how well for one thing it was organizing that? i mean it was it was Again, it was never my plan, but thinking, oh, I can write a novel. I think I can maybe write a novel. <laughs> and then it's terrifying once you start doing it. You have no idea what you're doing. I've never done this before. What am I, what was I, crazy? It's like, you know, I, I, I was a hiker, a weekend hiker, thinking I can climb Kilimanjaro. <laughs> and then you do right. it, and whoa. And then, so, and then my next novel was an historical novel, which was a whole other thing I didn't know yeah, how to do. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and similarly, this big nonfiction book, yeah, I'd written, you know, Thousand word pieces, four thousand word pieces, but like not a hundred and seventy four thousand uh, history of America that lots of historians and scholars of various kinds uh, could you know think of what 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 does he think he can do this? Yeah. So it was terrifying uh, 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 in a new way. I was ill equipped in a new way. So how did I do it? I, I uh, um, what I basically do. I mean, this is. Nonfiction very very different than the stuff I amass before I start writing a novel. But um, in this case, it was just reading and taking notes and having thoughts for I don't know just a, a year and a half before yeah. I started writing, and yeah. then mushing <clears throat> mushing that into what feels like a a, a prop, more or less proper order, kind of chronological, but within each chronological moment uh, broken into thematic you know, subject, and then just start plowing through. And, and of course, you know, the, 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 you know, it's, it's not even an outline exactly. It's, it's the stuff I have and the thoughts I've had and the ideas I've had maybe in the order that they will appear in this book. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of them go elsewhere and some of them go out the window. And, and so that's, you know, that's the basic process. And, and at a certain point I have had with that, uh, you know, uh, uh, essentially one document that is all my stuff. And then, you know, I start at the beginning uh, turning this amorphous glop into uh, prose. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like I mentioned to you before we started recording, I was in grad school during the, um, d during the 2016 election, and I was just starting to think about this podcast and, and my thesis project about design criticism. And then the election happened. I had this moment where, where I was like, design criticism seems like not a really important thing to be thinking about and talking about right now. Like there are a lot of really big problems in the world. And the more I started thinking about it and the more people I was talking to for the podcast, I started realizing that things like fake news and filter bubbles and all of these things that were kind of in the air could be framed as design problems. Well, they're all, they were all create. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Most of them are the result of choices about how things should be built, how news should be presented, how yeah. the, the internet should be uh, organized or regulated or not regulated. Yes, indeed. And, and, and that to me kind of changed how I then thought about yeah. what design criticism could and should be and how this kind of project is. And then that's why it, why Fantasyland was such a, a kind of revelation to me that this wasn't necessarily a new problem, um, but goes back 500 years. And um, our our mutual friend, Jessica Helfand, has this quote that I'm going to 
mess up a little bit, but something about how design uh, kind of connotes authority and that when something is well designed or seen as design, that it somehow is, is given uh, an authority or a, or a truth to it. And I think, I don't know if, if you use, if you kind of talk about design specifically in Fantasyland, there is a line that I really liked early on where you say that this is the first century that was designed. I really liked you using that word uh -huh. there. But could you talk a little bit about how design, how the physical world, the kind of built world media um, kind of yeah. plays a role in... Uh, uh, in well, in there, I, I think immediately of a couple of places, um, and they're connected. Uh, one is is Disneyland and, yeah. and its importance in my history. Uh, you know, it, 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 and I go, read the book if you want to find out how, how I make this argument, but, but it was one of those things when it opened in 1955 and then 1971 when Disney World came along, but, 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 but Disneyland and especially Main Street USA, mm -hmm. it was, was a game changer in uh, introducing Number one, the idea to regular Americans whose old towns were being destroyed and denuded and tossed away, like, whoa, these old buildings, these fake old buildings, are right. great. Yeah, we used to live this way. Grandpa used to live this way. This was great. And, and, and was part of the reason, part of the softening up the ground for Americans to embrace the redevelopment of downtowns and Rouse, you know, Quincy Market, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. festival marketplaces and all that stuff, and 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 theming and all, all so much of of the history of of urban design and architecture in America, but elsewhere as well. But let's just say America of the last sixty four years really begins at Main Street USA mm -hmm. and Disneyland. So that's one one yeah. example. Uh, and, and and I have I have you know. I, I am, it's one of the, I mean, there, there are things that I think are terrible about Fantasyland and it is, and, you know, Donald Trump being the embodiment of almost all of them, but, but, but I am of two minds about much of it, including, including the, the, the effects of, of, uh, of Disneyland fakery and simulacra. Um, uh, then I also talk a, a bit uh, later uh, in, in my chronology in the, in the 1970s as, as as a, a kind of backward looking romantic nostalgia right, about right, right. the America that used to be or right. and or never was, uh, and 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 in that context talk about the rise of of what was called postmodern architecture and Michael Graves mm -hmm. and Bob Stern and all the rest and and oh look uh, first it's a joke it's not really classical architecture but then it is classical and then it is just revival classical revivalism or whatever but. But so so uh, it's it's a piece of it there as well, designed very specifically. As is uh, again, Las Vegas has been a recurrent hobby yeah, horse yeah, of mine. And I, as I said, as I said before, I talk about it, have set big important scenes in my first novel there, but then also talk about it uh, in, in the in the context of of, of uh, Fantasyland. And to your point earlier about all my interests yeah. appearing in various yeah. part things I do, I, I I did a cover story after. I'd left uh, my design critic job at, at time, but occasionally wrote for them about Las Vegas in 1993 and, oh, right. and, and, and how it was uh, kind of emblematic of a new America and vice versa and so forth. So, so uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, I, I uh, and, you know, 
the joke I would tell myself is, yes, I try to use all my ideas ten times and everything. But it, it's really, it's not that. It's, it, it's, not, it's not that consciously cynical. It's just that, oh, this, I think, I think Las Vegas is important. I think Disneyland is yeah. important. Yeah. And, oh, it's useful in this context to explain this or to have this, uh, you know, episode in fiction happen. Yeah. This is a little bit of a, a side tangent, but the Disneyland sections were some of my favorite huh. in the book. A couple years ago, I got really interested in Disney's original plans for Epcot and, and kind of what he wanted for that. I just found so strange um, and, and uh, just kind of weird and utopian, but also with like a bit of a, a weirdness to it. Well, like um, all utopians. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. But at, at the time I was working in San Francisco um, at Facebook and, and Facebook's campus is designed to have a, a kind of main street in the middle with these fake shops in the middle where you can like get food and things like that. And visitors would come and I would overhear people and I'm walking to meetings talk about like, oh, this is just like Disneyland. And I'd have this like weird feeling and just want to be like, Disneyland is fake. Like that's not... I understand it as a compliment, but it's also not a compliment. Right. Well, and 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 it's it's to the point though of the blur, the, right. the expanding blurry zone that's between fake, obviously fake, and real. And and again, part of the the problematic parts of Fantasyland are are the way that blurring uh, happens in all kinds of ways that we cease being aware of. Yeah. Um, and another, uh, again, I keep thinking because of the the. the, the track you set this conversation on is is the hype the using how things i do here pop up mm, yeah, yeah. there i mean th there was uh, in, in my discussion of disney world and disney in Fantasyland. there was a whole section actually that came from this this uh, set of interviews i spent a day or two doing in in celebration florida oh, yeah. for the my radio program right oh um, right i remember this and uh so that's yeah uh it's it's uh, uh so even though my What's one way of saying, even though my, my professional life seems disparate to me, it seems uh, of, of a piece. And because, oh, you know, I've, I've been writing about, you know, I initially wrote about Celebration as a design critic at, at, at Time Magazine. Then I write about Celebration in the context of doing a whole documentary about Disney parks for my radio show. Then I'm writing this History of America about the blurring of fiction <laughs> and reality. And, and I use, you know, so it's, it's, it's you know... Even though the media change, it's it's. Uh, I only have a certain number of things I'm interested right. in, as we all as yeah. we all do. Yeah. Um, but I am curious about how. Let me think how to ask this question in not a boring way. How did Donald Trump change the end of fantasy? Because you were you were kind of finishing it while that was happening. Did that change how you thought about the book? Did it change the trajectory of the book at all? It, it, the only way it really changed it was. Uh, saying to my publishers, like, "Hey, dudes, this is not just some eccentric history book anymore. I think we what may have now. it. Yeah. May be, you know, it's relevant." Yeah. Um, um, so uh, once, so he started running for president in June of 2015, mm -hmm. when I had been writing the book for nine months. Okay. So, but he was still a joke, and so, uh, uh, and then I was, I was. In the final stretches of the book in early 2016, when he hadn't even gotten the nomination yet, turned in the finished manuscript okay, before he okay. got the nomination. So 
he he loomed larger in the end, but it was it was you know he wouldn't have probably been in the mentioned in the book had he not run for president. Right. If he hadn't won the presidency, I, I think the difference between the whatever ten or twelve pages I spent on him in out of the four hundred in the book uh, as a result in the end wouldn't have been much less had he lost the presidency. So it wasn't. It, it's not as though. I or the book pivoted around to right, be right, right. the story of Trump, 500 years run up. Uh, uh, it was just he walked into it kind of, I hesitate to say providentially, but he became this extraordinary poster boy for almost every one of my themes, right. embodying it as right, a right. wait, wait, what? Uh, right. So uh, that that's, I you know, it's. I hate to say it. He, I was lucky to have him, you know. Yeah, and I don't mean I don't mean to suggest that the book is about Trump. No, it isn't. But but it is. But it certainly the the reason lots of people read it and bought it and you know all that is is because of Donald Trump. No question. I mean, my my argument for what has happened to America in this fiction reality blurring and this love of and and, and the the kind of American indifference to the difference between fiction and reality um, would have been true had he not been elected. Right. Exactly. And exactly. and uh, but uh, you know uh, the fact that he was elected just uh, made people pay attention and 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 take more seriously this this strange uh, strange theory of American history that I sketched out. Right. What are you thinking about right now? What are what are subjects or, or things that? Uh, you're I, well, I, I I have been I persuade I've convinced myself to write another. Not a sequel to Fantasyland, but a, but another nonfiction book mm. that I will do faster and uh, will be smaller. And uh, so it's about the future mostly. It's about instead of the last five hundred years, it's about the last forty years and the next oh, fifteen, let's say. And uh, so it, it is. It is. It is much more in in the largest sense about design and mm. designing yeah. the yeah. future rather than letting it just happen to us, which is I think we've done. A lot in the last several decades, and you know, as though technology and the way it's being deployed and designed is simply just the way it happens. Well, of course right. it isn't. It's a right. series of choices right. made by various people. Um, uh, so that's that's what I'm thinking about. Is 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 uh, you know, uh, and and it's less fantasy is about uh, the way we think and 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 yeah. and what we believe. This is more about. The politics and economics and kind of the design of our That's society. So interesting. And 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 it, 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 again, in terms of it goes back to this internal hybrid process. Yeah. It it really came out of, even though it doesn't sound like it would have. It came out of the essay you mentioned that I did in Vanity Fair uh, six years ago, seven yeah. years ago now, uh, about how the this so much of the physical material culture, in my view, s- stopped changing uh, yeah. 25 years ago to a degree that hadn't happened for more than a century. And why, why, why was that? I began groping for explanations. And so um, that, in terms of, of uh, what, what, what happened 25, 30, 35 years ago in terms of the, 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 uh, the culture no longer being interested in the new, except for you know, technology being this transformatively right. new thing, that's that's a strange, you know, uh, uh, kind of bipolar situation. What's that about? So uh, and and so it's it, it is about the what I'm working on is is 
is how to think about the new and how to choose oh, how to choose uh, from the the various options rather than and 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 it's not all about resisting nostalgia or resisting the past. There's still fine things about the past, yeah. and but but I think a lot of our problem, not all of our problem, but a lot of our problem has been uh, resisting resisting uh, imagining the new or accepting the new, whether they are immigrants, whether it's like no, we really have to yeah, reorganize yeah, yeah. the way society works in this way or that way, and instead just. Uh, being mesmerized and paralyzed by the technological right, new, right, right. and 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 like, well, it's what Facebook wants, or yeah. that's what Google's doing, yeah. or that, and and, and 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 trying to figure out, even though much of the writing about the the potential utopia of the twenty thirty eight or singularity and otherwise of when AI when robots do give us everything, as 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 naive as. Or, or as unthought through as many of those visions of the future are, are there's something there to, to look toward. And, and, and so yeah. trying to figure out, again, how, how to, you know, uh, the future can never be designed. It is not inevitable. Uh, but it can be, it can be nudged. It can be, it can be, it can be designed toward. Yeah. And, and uh, so that's, you know, uh, I, I'm not, I mean, you know, whether it's Karl Marx or whomever, or any utopian who thinks, no, this is the future and that's what we need to do. That's ridiculous. But that doesn't mean you just sit back and let it happen to right, you as right, a society, right, as a right. people. And and so figuring out to what degree uh, the future can be designed and, and, and it can be designed more than we've, more than we as a, as a whole society have, 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 uh, Allowed ourselves to think it can, the 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 not to sound like a communist, but the forces of of you know the the forces of capital for the last forty years have 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 in, yeah. in large measure and in, in a very deliberate successful way designed where we are today. Right. Right. You know, I am not a conspiracy theorist. I am not like they got together in nineteen seventy three and said, okay, what do we want to be in two thousand eighteen? This, okay, good. No, but. There were things done along the way, policy-wise, changing the way people thought, uh, mm -hmm. demonizing government, mm -hmm. on and on and on. That got us where we are today. So you know, uh, it, it is. It is. It seems to me there's an opportunity for people who aren't, you know, uh, yeah. <clears throat> gazillionaires to to figure out the society that we, <laughs> the rest of us, uh, want yeah. and and say. Here's a rendering of that of that what that could be. Here's a different rendering, and here's a different rendering. Let's right. let's let's move toward one of those. Right. I love that. But, I mean, those are all of the things that I I love talking about. Okay. Um, my last question. This is a question I used to end all of these conversations, and I I hope it's not too big of a question. But I'm curious, who are the the writers, or who are the book? What are the books that have kind of influenced how you think about all of this stuff that we've talked about today? Well, Josh, uh, if you're giving me advanced warning, um, <laughs> let's see, all this stuff. Uh, or even if someone's listening to this and is interested in the things you're talking about, after they read Fantasyland yeah. and your novels, where would you point them? Well, uh, I have, you can go up and look at the 180 books sitting <laughs> on my floor upstairs. Um, the, the problem with that is always, you know, since I'm always working on some book or another, right, right. It, it, it's that 
the problem is that that book doesn't exist, which is why I'm attempting and will no doubt fail to successfully right. write it. You know, so yeah. so there is. Uh, well, I'll tell you one. No, okay. here, here's one. Uh, it's by Walter Lippmann, the 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 journalist, intellectual yeah. essayist of the early 20th century, who, as a young man, uh, published a book in 1914. Uh, in which, I'm going to get the title wrong, but the word drift appears. Maybe it's the big drift, the drift, something. It's about life. It's it's about this, what he was seeing as the, we're, we're on this momentous change that had just happened from from the old to the new. And 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 we're, we're fitfully trying to understand how that works. And this is the, you know, here's mm -hmm. socialism, but it's wrong in this way. And here... It's, it's, it was, it was, and it's not a famous book. I just stumbled across it as I was doing research for this next non-existent book. Um, and it was, it was, it was, it was just mind-boggling of, of how, wow, this, you know, here yeah. we are again, a hundred years yeah. later. And, and, and it reminded me of this, of this line um, that uh, Mark Twain did not say, but it's often attributed to him. And I repeated it endlessly oh. in the course of Fantasyland, <laughs> which is that yeah. history doesn't, repeat itself but it rhymes and 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 it was just amazing so find find the Walter Lippmann book uh, with the word drift in the title and uh, if you want just a, a sense of, uh, of of America being confused and terrified and you know intermittently hopeful uh, 105 years ago I love that Kurt, thank you so much. This was such a fun conversation. Oh, I'm a big good. fan. Good. Um, this was great. Thanks for being on the podcast. My total pleasure. This episode was recorded on December 17th, 2018 in Brooklyn, New York. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.